just a couple quick announcements uh, before we settle in today. Uh, first off, um, you know, I, I probably could say this every Lord's Day, but it's, it's just an honor and humbling to be able to uh, be up here preaching the Word of God, and I just want to thank you for that, for that uh, continued opportunity that I have here. It's, it's just a joy, a real joy, and um, I thank you for allowing me to do that. Uh, secondly, I have an update on Lee Parker. He is still at Carson City Hospital. Uh, he seems to be feeling a little bit better now, and it sounds like the meds are helping get him under control. Uh, so things are going better. Uh, I don't, for those of you that uh, didn't hear out of, at the end of SOS, uh, no, LOL, sorry, wrong, wrong uh, group. At the end of LOL the other day, uh, Marilyn, got a call that Lee had been, or that Lee was having some heart issue, had to be taken to the hospital, and we, we followed up with him later that day, and he was already feeling better by the time he got in the hospital. There were no heart attacks, just he'd gone into AFib. So just continue to pray for Lee. Uh, he had asked for that today. Third, or thirdly, if that's a word, see these little uh, notes here, these cards that you'll find somewhere near you? Please take advantage of these. If there's a time that uh, you want me to come visit you or you want some information on baptism or you want some info on getting involved, that's what these are for. Uh, you know, you'd hate to think that there's someone is wanting their preacher to come see him and he doesn't know about it. So here's a good way that you can communicate with us. These will stay anonymous, but we can get them from the offering plate and then I'll read them and take it from there. So please take advantage of these cards. These are, uh, these are a neat thing for us to have. Okay, well I want to thank Ralph Sherman for filling in last week for me while I was out for the weekend. If you're glancing at the slide and thinking, uh, Preacher, I think the series is going on forever. We've extended it through February, well, now we're going to extend it through March. And don't blame me, it's all your fault for all the great ideas. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. But speaking of preachers and speaking of stories, I've got another one for you as we do get going this morning. This is a great picture. Uh, Karen sometimes will go, go out and find these for me when I ask her to, and she always does just a great job. I really like these. There was a preacher by the name of Ray Stedman, and he once traveled across the country for a week of meetings. The only problem was this particular week, his baggage didn't make it with him. Have you ever had that happen to you if you've been traveling? Well, Ray was short on suits. He was also short on time to wait for the airline to make things right. So Ray went, he went down to a local thrift shop to remedy his situation. He told the salesman there at the thrift shop, I'd like to get a couple of suits. And the man smiled, led him to an entire rack full of suits. You're in luck, the salesman said. We just received all of these. But you need to know one thing about them. They came from the local mortuary. Salesman continued, they've all been cleaned and pressed. They're all good to go. But you need to know that they were used on cadavers and open caskets. There's not a thing wrong with these suits. I just didn't want that to bother you. You might sit there and think how you'd respond to that. Stedman said, no, that's fine. He tried on a few of the suits. He finally bought two of them at a bargain price, $25 each. Uh, actually kind of a similar scenario to how I got a couple of my suits. Gotta love thrift stores. 
Well, when Stedman returned to his room, he began to uh, change, get dressed for the evening's meetings. And as Ray put one of the suits on, he began trying to put his hands in the pockets. To his dismay, he couldn't because the pockets had been sewn up. The suits appeared as though they had pockets. On the front of the coat, they turned out to be mere flaps. Ray stood there confused, thinking about it for a moment before shouting out loud to himself, almost as if he'd had some sort of epiphany. No pockets, of course! We don't carry stuff around with us after we die. Stedman would later admit about the incident, I spent all week trying to stick my hands in the pockets of those suits. I had to hang my keys on my belt. And you know, it's interesting how easily we get to having things carried around in our pockets. Now, right now, I got some junk in my pockets, weighing down one side or the other. Maybe, uh, maybe you're a, a pocket person as well. What's the point this morning? One author writes, our money has the power to shackle us to this present world. But our tithes and offerings, this has the power to shackle us to God in faith. Let me say that again. Our money has the power to shackle us to this present world, but our tithes and offerings, this has the power to shackle us to God in faith. Now, before you say, well, I'm out of here because the preacher's going to start ranting about the offering plate, just hold on. Because I'm on your side this morning. We see a lot of mixed messages, and we hear a lot in the church and in various churches Sometimes these are messages of greed. And these messages don't just shackle preachers like me, but entire congregations to the world, right? One preacher tells about a church that had struck oil on its property. Oh boy, wouldn't that be great? Can you imagine? This is a true story. Instantly, a congregational meeting was called, and the church decided, because of the discovery, to adopt three resolutions. Okay, number one, they decided they would pump as much oil as they possibly could from the property. Number two, they would distribute the oil money equally among the church members. And number three, they would not accept any new members. Does it seem like the priorities got a little off here somewhere? Has this church forgotten maybe in the discovery of this oil, why they existed in the first place. Well, of course they had. Of course they had. They neglected the call to be stewards to handle one's resources like Jesus. What does Jesus tell us in Matthew 6, 21? Such important words for each and every one of us. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? How often do we keep this in mind? You know, as a church, we, we do send plenty of mixed messages about money. We really do. Uh, some people will say, you, you got the first guy, the guy on TV. Uh, they've been good at that for several years, right? And what do they always tell you? They always tell you something like, give, give, give. Just mainly that guy, right? And others, other people among the church will say things like this. I've heard... Uh, some believers say, 
Give 10% of your paycheck weekly without fail. And then you might have some other Christians. Some other Christians might proclaim something like, well, when that hat gets passed to me, I'm just going to keep all that's mine because I earned it. It's my money, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to work out my offering to God uh, in handiwork around the church building. Well, we may not be fighting over oil or black gold or Texas tea, Beverly Hillbillies, but I guarantee you there are a few different opinions in the pews about offering time. This morning's extended you pick question is this following. It's funny because I hear it a lot, and so I address it often around this time of year. How am I to give my tithes and offerings? In this world, there's so much at stake. Jesus talks about our souls being at stake, Matthew 16, 26. So this teaching bears repeating. We're going to go back through a couple of familiar passages. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, you can, or you can follow with me uh, here on the uh, background. This is where our Sunday giving begins in Scripture, as we know it today, with these two passages. We're, we're going to supplement these a little bit in, in a little while, but let's, let's just read through these uh, together. Paul's writing to the church here at Corinth, and he says this, 1 Corinthians 16.1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, I see he's already addressed part of the church, so now he's addressing another part, because this is, this is going to be universal for the church, this command. Paul says, so you also are to do, right? You're also to do this. On the first day of every week, each of you, each of you, each person is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now jump with me over to 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and he augments this a little bit. He's still speaking to the same group of people. He could be speaking to all Christians because he is. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians 9, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, these are Paul's instructions for the giving of the offering. And it's good that we remind ourselves of these scriptures from time to time. This is the same collection that we took up just a little while ago. And we take up this collection every uh, Sunday morning as well. Paul directed the church to give in this manner 2,000 years ago. Uh, the Holy Spirit did rather through Paul. And the Holy Spirit is still directing us in the same way. But let's break these scriptures down a little bit more this morning. I'm going to go a little bit old school with this. Let's go into three points. We're going to continue to discuss the answer to this question. How am I to give my tithes and offerings? And number one, the first answer from all of us, from each person, a gift is to be given weekly. That's the first word this morning, the first point, the first thing we want to keep at the front here. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul literally says in the Greek, upon the first day of every week. That's the direction. That's the biblical mandate for giving. It's not once a quarter. Uh, it's not maybe on a Tuesday. Uh, upon the first day of every week. Each week, the Christian is blessed. He or she must give support for the Lord's work, taking up a collection. 
So here's a question. If I stay home from church on Sunday, maybe I have the coronavirus. That's a little extreme, but it's topical. Headache, whatever. God's word says that doesn't dismiss me from my financial stewardship that day. I, I know we often like to make excuses for why we can't give up what's been given to us. There was that rich young ruler who had his excuses in Mark chapter 10 for why he couldn't give of himself when Jesus asked him to, right? Remember that? He went away very sad. Likewise, what do our excuses sound like? Maybe they sound like this. I have my sister and her family in town this week. We always go out to that expensive restaurant. It's about an hour away. It's going to be a couple times when they get here, so I better just hang on to that offering. I might just need it. They're going to expect that. That might be our excuses. Or something similar, right? Here's the cool thing about God's word about these passages. It gives us the opportunity to free ourselves of this shackling, the shackling in this world, of these kinds of excuses. I'm not saying don't eat with family. But where is our heart? Where is our treasure? God's word shackles us to God instead of the world. You know, and Jesus gave that rich young ruler the opportunity to do the same. But what did he do? He chose the world. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, and we may want to top off these other scriptures with this. It is required of stewards, and that's each one of us, Christians, believers, that they be found faithful. And so, friends, in light of these scriptures, of what Paul is saying, I'd like to encourage you, regardless of your circumstances and regardless of what's going on after worship, where you are financially, what bills have to be paid, to give weekly. Just do it. Just give weekly. It's what God's word directs us to do. If you miss a Sunday, drop it in the mail. It'll get collected and counted for the following Sunday. Don't worry, we won't do anything outside of what the scripture tells us to do. I'd like to encourage you to give weekly. What's our attitude sometimes with weekly giving? I found this great quote in this book, 13 Lessons in Christian Doctrine. If you, if you haven't walked through that book, I encourage you to in your faith. A lot of times here at Ferris, the elders have, often, have offered different classes on this book. It's excellent. I highly recommend it. Denver Sizemore, the author, says this. Too often we think that our money belongs to us exclusively, right? It's our money. And if we so choose, we may give God some of our money. But the reverse is the truth, however, he says. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God, every penny. And God permits us to use part of it. Sizemore continues, when this fact is clearly understood, it will change. It will change our attitudes toward God, toward our money. This is a big deal to keep in mind. It's all God's. We owe nothing. So when Paul writes that each of us, doesn't matter if we're in Galatia, Corinth, or East Montcalm County, Michigan, we are to physically give to this collection. Return to God what's his. Is this easy? Not always. Is this convenient? Sometimes no. But it's what God's word tells us to do. It's what God's word tells us to do. So we do it. Weekly. So what's our second point here this morning? And this is where it may get a little uh, more difficult for us. Because secondly, the Bible tells us in these passages that a gift is to be given willfully. Willfully. 
But what does that mean, willfully? Of our own desire to give, right? We've chosen. We've made a decision. This is important. Heard a story uh, from a, a family member of mine. They spent a few years in one religious organization. I'm not going to drop any names or churches' organizations. Church organization. That sounds better. After missing a month of weekly meetings, it dawned on the people at this organization that the individual possibly wasn't coming back to join them, and he was sent a bill in the mail for missed offerings. I'm not kidding you. But that's not what willfully means. Willfully doesn't mean it's like uh, dealing with consumers. That's not offering. Offering means, uh, or willfully means, we don't have the pressure that other people, oh, is he watching me? Oh, is, you know, as that plate goes down, is he staring at what's happening? Willfully means it's a blessing to give a predetermined amount, predetermined in proportion to what I've been given as a gift to God. And this is all important that we keep this in mind every week. A predetermined amount in proportion to what you've been given to God. This is a good time maybe to, uh, to jump into another point here. Let me get a drink first. Since I was preaching on tithing, I, I needed uh, full water and extra coffee. At this point, maybe you're uh, doing some looking around in your Bible, maybe you're on Google on your smartphone, and you're looking for this expression or phrase 10% tithe. Let's talk about this phrase a little bit. Sometimes we wonder, what, what does this mean? What is this all about? Where does our Bible tell us about this 10% thing? And here's the problem. It doesn't in the New Testament. Tithing itself is an Old Testament practice, Old Testament. This is before Jesus was born and died on the cross and fulfilled Old Testament law. And I've actually, if you want to make a note of them, I've put some scriptures up here that you can go and look up and read all about uh, God's command to his people to tithe. Uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Second Chronicles, uh, if that helps you. And what, in essence, these uh, discuss is a 10% giving of all the crops and livestock that the Israelites raised to the tabernacle or temple. That's where this 10% tithing comes from in Scripture. But we need to take note of something. This was just one part of their tithing, just one part of what God required in Mosaic law. We, we like to throw out the number 10% a lot in collection with the offering plate. But if the Christian, if the modern churchgoer were to follow the same system of giving the way the Mosaic law commanded the Israelites to give, it'd be around a 24% or one quarter of our earnings tithe given weekly if we were to follow the letter of the law. The Old Testament actually asked for multiple tithes, and we want to keep that in mind. Uh, one for the Levites, one for using the temple, one for the poor of the land. Now, when we get into the New Testament, nowhere do we see a commandment or even a recommendation that Christians submit to this tithing system of old. Why? Jesus fulfilled it. Jesus fulfilled it. Or Jesus paid it all. You knew that was coming at some point. Now, this morning, I'm not saying don't tithe. This morning, I'm not saying... Don't have a predetermined number in your mind for giving, such as 
This morning, I may be suggesting to you personally that you perhaps give quite a bit more than that. Now, I promise I'm not going televangelist. 10% is where the law of Moses begins. Grace through Jesus Christ, what? It exceeds the law, doesn't it? In all ways, in all things. Fulfilled and exceeds. And so, I, again, I'd like to encourage you, encourage each one of you, brothers and sisters. Uh, I'm not going to use that pleading preacher voice to give. But give your tithe on Sunday and perhaps give an offering as well. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because church needs don't stop just because we have a building project, for example, right? So your tithe and your offering, this is important. This is something that uh, uh, I know leadership has discussed before. We, we should understand there is a little bit of a difference between the tithe and the offering. You know, sometimes giving in Christ is another way we carry our cross. What else did Paul tell the church? He told the church in Corinth, uh, 2 Corinthians 8.3, about a group of believers who, quote, gave according to their means, as I can testify. Okay, but then he goes on, and beyond their means. Paul says, beyond their means of their own accord. Acts 11.29 mentions that the disciples determined to give everyone according to his ability. So yes, Jesus has fulfilled the mandatory tithe. As Christians, do we give from the heart weekly? in proportion. One commentator notes, okay, those who have more should give more. But regardless of our means, regardless of what we can give, regular discipline giving on the part of each one of us is the only means by which we can do what God intends for us to do. We have responsibilities to the poor. We have Christian work. We have missionaries. Uh, we do have the light bill to pay. And I suppose I should ask my next question. If this is the case, and if God's word plainly tells us these things, you know, weekly and willfully, why don't we follow it? Why don't we follow God's word? I've got some kind of puzzling statistics this morning on our giving. Dennis Green, founder of Church Development, this is an organization which helps churches fund capital campaigns, shares these statistics. The average Protestant Christian gives only 2.2% of his or her income. 2.2%. While we're busy shouting 10%, 10%, 10%, we're only giving two on average. That's weird. That's puzzling. Now, even if we could afford to increase our tithe to 5% giving, the Old Testament biblical tithe starts twice as that, right? In conclusion, it seems as though Christians today, when you look at the statistics, and this is whether by lifestyle choice or necessity on average, we don't believe we can survive off 90% of our income, let alone 95. So what does that say about us? Does it maybe say that giving the way the Bible says, the way God instructs weekly, willfully, isn't going to be easy, going to be difficult, going to be a matter of faith? Absolutely. The Bible says to give as we've been given. So what do we do? We do this by considering our ability to give. 
We have to consider the needs of the church. A lot of times we'll, we'll list those, talk about those in the bulletin, maybe talk about those at an annual meeting. We try to keep everyone updated on what those are. Perhaps most importantly, pray. James 1.5, ask for wisdom. Take this to the Lord, knowing his word in your particular situation. What is God's will for your giving plan? Plan it out. Pray on it. I know it's not easy to do this. I know this is one of those difficult subjects. And times are tough. I realize that too. You don't have to have graduated from the Dave Ramsey Academy of Budgeting to understand and know full well that the incoming doesn't always keep up with the outgoing, right? We've got families to feed. Once you start hitting that three-kid mark, forget it, right? Becky can go to the store that day, that evening. There's no food left, and I didn't touch it. I know what feeding a family's like. It's not cheap. Paying a mortgage... I'm convinced that giving willfully to God, not after the fridge is full and not after the bills are paid, but first and foremost, the first, the best cut is not always going to make sense by any numbers. But if God's word tells me the letter of the law was 10 to 25%, what's our excuse today? What's our excuse in the richest country in the world? What's our excuse when we get that raise, when we get that surplus from work or back from the insurance man, do we adjust our giving accordingly? Perhaps something we should ask the Lord, ask for wisdom. Do we give a cut of that bonus we receive on Sunday morning? These are questions we need to prayerfully consider as God's people. And it's not because we're obligated. It's not because we're obligated to keep numbers. But because it's a joy when we come in this place, we come to the table as an act of worship, and then another act of worship, returning to the Lord a portion of what he's given. Maybe you're way ahead of me. Maybe you're already doing these things, or at least you've taken some of these questions related giving in prayer. But I'll tell you, it's going to be a whole lot easier to take some time ahead of the service in prayer with these scriptures it's going to be a whole lot more comfortable than to come into this place and sit down in a pew and squirm during the offering. Like, invisible cloak, where is it? From Harry Potter, you know? And it's so easy for us to have a bad attitude about giving. It's perhaps the church's fault. But the Bible says this, don't even bother if your heart's not in it. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Don't even bother. God's word says cheerfully, cheerfully, act of worship. Getting our hearts in the right place ahead of time is going to make a big difference when we come into this place and the plate is passed. There's a popular tourist slogan, perhaps you've all heard it or heard someone say it. What happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas. Some of you, like, we can't say that out loud in a church building. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's kind of a stupid line, but I think it works. On a godlier note, we might say what happens in the heart may stay in the heart. So we become cheerful givers by making a habit of cheerful giving. And so cheerful giving is a habit. We give with godly motives, remembering that, hey, you know, uh, this isn't going to uh, 
Josh's wallet. They're not going to Cody's back pocket. You're not ultimately giving to a minister when you come in this place. The money's not ultimately going uh, to some missionary someplace. When you give weekly and willfully in this place, you're giving to who? God. You're giving to God. You're bringing an offering to the great I am, almighty God. That's who is getting your gift. And this brings us to our last point this morning. I was looking at this text earlier this week and uh, had some tears come to my eyes when I was realizing the implication of this scripture. So powerful. The Bible says that this gift that we bring weekly, we bring cheerfully, is also to be given worshipfully. Where is our heart at? One author writes, there's no story in the scriptures anywhere in our Bibles that more vividly connects giving than the story of the wise man when they entered the very presence of Jesus in the second chapter of Matthew. Think about how this connects giving to worship. Jesus is not very old, right? This is the very first Christmas celebration. It's the very first time someone gives a gift after, of course, God gave the Son. Sometimes we associate Christmas uh, with gift giving. Actually, most of the time we, we do that. Why? Because these wise men couldn't worship Jesus. Couldn't worship Jesus without bringing a treasure of gold, of incense, of myrrh, and presenting them. Why? Because empty-handed worship, according to the scriptures, is not worship at all. Wow. And we can look back, we can look at other people, other Old Testament characters, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, for example, even those predating Moses that connected giving to worship. And this comes before any kind of a tithing system to God. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? What was the whole uh, argument over? An offering. I'm told the offering Cain wanted to bring to the Lord, it was a real killer. She said, why, why was that in there? But are we more fixated on what we get out of worship than what we bring? Overall, when we come in here. We sang that song earlier, Oh Lord, I bring an offering to you. Do we mean this? We consider that wise men still bring a gift to God worshipfully, knowing that God's given it all to us. What could we do but give back to him? I don't, I don't mean to put anybody down. Again, I, I preach to the one-man choir when I write these sermons. But truthfully, there are very few circumstances in which we are unable to give. Very few. I don't know if any of you are familiar with this book, Tortured for Christ. Has anybody read this book, Tortured for Christ? Richard Wormbrand was a preacher in the Soviet Union, and uh, his adventures here were chronicled in this book, Tortured for Christ. Wormbrand suffered terribly for his Christian faith. And in this book, Wormbrand writes that while he was imprisoned for being a Christian, he and his fellow Soviets, the believers, had an opportunity to worship and honor God in this very act of giving. And it's hard to believe this one when you hear it. 
He writes, when we were given one slice of bread a week and dirty, dirty soup every day, we decided we would faithfully tithe. Even that. Every tenth week, we took the slice of bread we were given and gave it to the weaker brethren as our tithe to the master. Now think of the strangeness of that decision. These guys expected to bring an offering? Come on! This was their food. They're in prison. This was all the food they had. Why did they choose to offer it up? Because they had no shackles to this world. The physical had no hold over them. So they recognized the necessity of offering what God had provided to them. It was their act of worship. They had to tithe. They knew the necessity of giving back what they'd been given. So what holds us back? What is holding you back from faithfully worshiping God on the Lord's day? I know it's easy to uh, poke fun at some of these easy targets. Some of the church has certainly set it up that way. We've got some uh, interesting slides up here right now. Uh, you know, the world being ours. Uh, some of my f uh, fellow members of the trade of evangelism, you know, they get Rolex. The closest I ever got to a Rolex, it wasn't spelled that. It had a CKS at the end. And I found it in Central Park. I was told uh, not to buy it. Rolex, and uh, this is somebody's estate, right? Uh, the Lord's servant. One American pastor's private ministry, jet worth two with a whole lot of zeros. And some commas. Okay. Singer-songwriter uh, Bono once commented, the God I believe in isn't short of cash. And it's true. God has everything in the world, literally. The psalmist writes, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all his. So God doesn't need our money, but you know what he asks for? Stewardship. He requires that we be stewards. C.S. Lewis once gave a, an illustration, and I love this. We can't give anything that was not, in a sense, his already paraphrasing just slightly. When we talk of a person giving something to God, it is like a small child going to his father and saying, Daddy, give me money to buy you a birthday present. Well, of course, Dad does. Dad's pleased with the child's present, right? But no one would think that the father's made good on this transaction. But what a joy it is for Dad to give that money to the child, to see it returned. What a blessing. God is glorified when his children give back to him. He's glorified. And that's why he gives us everything, so we can glorify him. So our offerings, it's good news. They're not about us losing our hard-earned cash or, or looking good to someone passing a plate or, or crossing a good deed off our spiritual checklist. In fact, they're not about us at all. Our tithes and offerings are all about giving glory to Jesus Christ and the Father. Amen. Yeah, our, our giving up of our time and our talents to serve God, uh, these are indeed up to the Christian to give back to the Lord. And I don't want to make light of those things. But good stewardship covers what's in our pockets. And unlike paying taxes, no one's exempt.
found a good picture here of uh, some folks in the offering. Okay, the, the only one that might be exempt is, is the, the one with the fist in the mouth there. But. One preacher writes, The only reason I wouldn't put an offering in the plate on Sunday morning is because I have more faith in the power of money to give me security than I do in the power of God to do the same thing. Wow. God once blessed those Old Testament tithes in Malachi 3.10. And he said, test me on this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. You know what? He's going to also bless the full amount we return to him today. It's the same God. Jesus was so concerned about our giving back as well. 16 of his 38 parables were concerned with our money and possessions. Seemed to be a big deal for the sons of God. Are we going to ever be able to repay the Lord for everything he's done? No, never. We'll spend an eternity trying, though. But you know what we can do? Like that widow in the 12th chapter of Mark who put in all she owned, all she had to live on. We, too, are invited, invited, not forced, invited to give back to God weekly, cheerfully, worshipfully. This is an act of worship. This is how we're to give our tithes and offerings. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for each and everything that you've given to us. Lord, we're so blessed. No matter what our means are, Lord, we're blessed just because we're here. Lord, if we have a roof over our head and clothes over our back, Lord, we have. <laughs> we have. Lord, I pray that as we live in this world and as the things and the possessions and the money of this world tempts us and calls to us as though it's going to last forever, as though we're going to be here forever. Lord, help us to remember that you gave it all for us to spend an eternity with you. Lord, I thank you for those that have made commitments, those that have, that have been faithful the ones, Lord, that no matter what circumstances have been in our lives, Lord, that they've come to you week, weekly and worshipfully and willfully. And they've given you out of their hearts. Lord, we know that's what you want. Lord, whatever it is that holds us back in this world, maybe, maybe it's not money, maybe it's not possessions. Maybe it's other people. Maybe it's a, a job we have or, or a relationship we have or circumstances of the times. Whatever it is, Lord, the answer is to give you our heart fully, completely, not hold it back. Once we do, Lord, the things all around us will fall into place. 
Lord, help us not to uh, view money as evil. Help us to remember that the love of money is where we need to be so cautious. Help us to be givers in your kingdom. To remember that you bless when we give. Lord, we, we anxiously await that day that you come back and you gather your prized possessions, your treasure, Lord, which is all of us who believe in you. Help us to eagerly await that more than anything. Lord, we, we ask that you, you come quickly, Lord Jesus. In these things we pray, amen. We're going to end our time together uh, with a song I give you my heart. Again, this is, this is where it all comes to this morning. This is what the message is all about. How do we give our tithes and offerings? How do we approach the table of the Lord? How do we come into fellowship? How do we do any of these things that the Bible asks of us? This morning, if you haven't yet made a public decision to go down into those waters of baptism and come up a new creation, having died and raised again in Christ, we invite you to come forward. Or if you have another public decision to make, please stand as we sing this song. I give you.